Hey there, friends, and welcome to episode 204 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, I'm joined by a zookeeper for a review of the humble earth pig. We discuss their evolutionary loneliness, unique hodgepodge of surprising traits, tube teeth, Pokemon, the PBS cartoon Arthur, and pro tips for planning your next zoo trip. Just the Zoo of Us presents Aardvarks with Kaylee Hart. It's Ellen Weatherford. Welcome back to Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast. I'm really hyped this week talking to a brand new friend. This week joining us is Kaylee Hart. Say hi, Kaylee. Hello, everybody. And Kaylee, what are your pronouns real quick? Primarily she, her, but I do accept they, them. Thank you so much. And Kaylee, we have connected via TikTok, where you talk about the animals that you work with and you talk about Pokemon, which is a great connection for me. I'm also a Pokemon nerd. I think a lot of people listening can also relate to that as well. Kaylee, before we talk about our really awesome animal for today, let's get to know you a little bit. What does your work with these animals look like? I was born and raised in Pinellas County, Florida. Woohoo! Yeah. Represent. Yeah. <laughs> Sunshine State. I studied zoology at UF, graduated in the year 2020, which was a very interesting experience. Totally normal. Yeah, normal year. totally normal to graduate in your living room. Completely yep. precedented. <laughs> um, so I've been working in animal husbandry-based jobs for uh, several years, about... Two of those years have been specifically gaining work experience in AZA accredited zoos. So now my current job is I'm a zookeeper for ambassador animals at an AZA accredited uh, zoological facility. Were you always a nature and animal kid or was that a direction that you made your way to later in life? I've always been interested in nature and animals. Um, my family, we used to go camping every summer. And I've kind of joked when I was in college, some of my friends joked around how my interest in wildlife may have been impacted by my interest in Pokemon. Same. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, I've always been interested in biology and wildlife. Um, when I was in school, that was always my favorite subject, usually. That's awesome. I think that a lot of people, especially like indoorsy kids like I was as a kid, probably like connect with a sort of interest in nature through like living that fantasy out in video games and Pokemon. So I, I think there's like a lot of validity in like Pokemon inspiring a love for nature and wildlife. Mm hmm. And vice versa. Yeah. Right? Like, you might be more inclined to be into Pokemon if you already like animals. <laughs> right? Like, I think animals are so cool. The diversity of life on this planet is amazing. And when you give the animals superpowers, like, that's just better. <laughs> Although, I will say, the uh, animal we have to talk about today is really just as cool as any Pokemon, I think. I don't think represented by a Pokemon yet. No, it is not. Unfortunately, Game Freak really needs to get on that. There's an opportunity here. There is. It would make <laughs> such a good Pokemon. What type would it be, do you think? Um, I think ground type. Maybe mm -hmm. a secondary type, but ground type for sure. They could do something silly with it with that second type, I'm sure. But like, it's got to be ground, right? Yeah. Yeah. No question <laughs> about that. It's in the name Aardvark, right? Like sort of mm -hmm. by way of translation, but like it's in the name. Yeah. Yeah. Earth pigs. By the way, we're talking about <laughs> Aardvarks today. I'm so excited because these are such charming little dudes. And they have been featured in uh, an earlier episode that we did. I think it was like two years ago. Christian did a segment on Aardvarks aardvarks but you know like we've done this before sometimes we'll do a segment on an animal and then later on have a guest to kind of bring some perspective and some insight into this animal so i'm really excited to get kind of like a deeper look at aardvarks because they're so funky and they're so strange yeah and in no way what you're expecting so for people listening that like aren't very familiar with aardvarks could you introduce us to them absolutely so aardvarks are they're like a medium-sized mammal that's found throughout 
Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, if I were to describe what they physically look like, um, imagine something the size of like a small to medium-sized pig. Uh, similarly furred, so pretty sparse hair, about a, like a yellowish, tannish gray color. They have the ears like a rabbit. They have a snout, like an elongated pig-like snout. Um, they have a really long tongue, like an anteater. And they have claws that kind of are like big, long, shovel-like nails. I think the platypus gets a lot of hype for being this cobbled together Frankenstein animal. But I think not enough people are talking about how aardvarks are like all the leftover parts from a bunch of different animals. Right, yeah. And they're also, they're very muscular creatures. They don't really have any fat on their bodies, so... Solid. Yeah, very solid animals. They're usually between, like, 88 to 180 pounds. Um, Usually 100, 120, I think, would be, like, the mid-range. 50 to 80 kilograms for anybody who uses metric. In terms of length, they're about three to four feet long, not including their tail. And they have a very, like, thick, muscular, tapered tail. All of this is a lot bigger than I used to think aardvarks were. Mm -hmm. Like, if you've never seen them next to something that you were familiar with, so you can't, like, get a sense of scale, when you do see one, like, next to a human, you're like... Are you sure? Like, that's yeah. how big they are. <laughs> yeah, they're surprising animals to a lot of people. And I think that's because, at least in North America anyway, like, there's not that many in North America. So most people would have never seen one of these things in real life. And if all you're seeing of them is like things that you would see in like a documentary of them, you're probably going to see them kind of crawling around in the dirt and in this long grass, where there can be kind of a trick of perspective, right? Like, yeah. if the grass is really, really tall then it might make it look like the aardvark is just really, really tiny. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you see one in real life and you're like, oh my God, that thing's huge. Yeah, they're basically the size of like a small to medium sized pig. That's more of a, like a familiar animal to I think many of our listeners. And I do want to talk about their evolutionary history. Please. It is very unique. Yes. And super cool, in my opinion. People can't see. I'm bouncing with excitement. I'm so happy. (laughs) This is one of my favorite things to talk about. Aardvarks, as I mentioned, they live in Africa. They are members of this large clade called Afrotheria, which is a group that encompasses things like elephants, sea cows and manatees, uh, hyraxes, Tenrex, elephant shrews, golden moles, and aardvarks. And aardvarks are very special because they are the only species in their entire taxonomic order. To kind of put that into perspective, all primates, that's an order. The order carnivora encompasses all cats, all dogs, all bears, all weasels and seals. That's the taxonomic order. And you think about how diverse those orders are, how many species there are in those orders. And in the aardvarks order, tubula dentata, it's just one. They're so lonely. (laughs) Yeah, they're the only mammals for which that is the case. Their lineage branched off as early as the Eocene period, which is like 54 million years ago. And the first fossils that we have of like aardvarks or their close relatives specifically would be in the Miocene, which was roughly 18 to 19 million years ago. So they've been evolutionarily isolated for a long time. And something I actually learned when I was brushing up on all of my aardvark knowledge for this episode was that one of the reasons why that Afrotheria group is so kind of odd and full of things that look like other things is that when the dinosaurs went extinct and mammals were first diversifying, Africa was actually like an island. It didn't, it wasn't connected to Eurasia yet. So all of those ecological niches that were filled by lots of other things like rodents and cats and other carnivores and hooved animals, all of those niches that were filled by those creatures in other parts of the world were absent from Africa for a very long time. So that's why the Afrotheria is like so diverse and has a lot of convergent traits with other groups. It makes sense because like in the members of Afrotheria that you were listing off, they seem so analogous to like other things from outside of that group. Like elephant seems kind of like rhino or like tenric seems kind of like hedgehog and manatees seem kind of like whales. Like they're copying each other's homework a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Um, Arriving at the same answer through independent methods. I cannot think of any other creature 
that the aardvark looks like. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel analogous to anything. Is it maybe an anteater? Yeah, so I have the extraordinary privilege of getting to work with an aardvark at my job. Living the dream. Exactly. This is this is <laughs> what I've been working toward for years and years. I'm so stoked. But whenever guests see our aardvark, one of the first questions that they tend to ask is, oh, is that an anteater? And they are not closely related to anteaters whatsoever. I mean, like we stated, they're not really closely related to anything that's currently alive. But anteaters and pangolins originated in different parts of the world. Anteaters are more of South American species and pangolins, I believe, originated in Asia and then like half of them moved over to Africa. So they're completely unrelated species. However, they do share a lot of similar adaptations to their extremely specific diet, which we will get to. Let's talk about those adaptations because for how wonky and funky the aardvark looks, it must be like that for a reason. Oh, yes. (laughs) So if this is your first time listening to this podcast what we do is review animals by rating them out of 10 in different categories the first category is effectiveness this is how well this animal is adapted physically things that are built into the animal's body to do the things that they're trying to do kaylee what do you give aardvarks out of 10 for effectiveness so for effectiveness i rated them a 9 out of 10 that's pretty good yeah because while a lot of their adaptations are shared by other animals. For many of them, aardvarks do it almost the best. Specifically, we'll talk about their diet first. Though they are not related to anteaters the animal, they are anteaters in terms of they eat ants and termites. Anteaters with a space in the middle. Yeah, anteaters <laughs> with a space. Eaters of ants. <laughs> yes. There is a big, long, fancy kind of a mouthful word that refers to that sort of diet, and it is myrmecophagous. Mm. Um, so they are myrmecophagous animals. I like how ants get their own special word oh, for things yeah. that eat them. <laughs> yeah, it's not just insectivore. It's myrmecophagous. No, we have to get really granular. <laughs> it's a very specific type of insectivore. But um, aardvarks are myrmecophagous. Their diet is mostly, almost entirely comprised of ants and termites, and they can eat up to 50,000 ants or termites each night. So they're quite proficient at locating and finding this food source. Going to town. Yes. One of the things that makes them so incredibly effective at finding ants and termites is their sense of smell. We mentioned before they're like long like pig snout. That nose is seriously good at smelling. It looks like it should be. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So when you're going to have a nose like that, Right. Not only is it like a really long nasal cavity in their like elongated snout, but the end of that snout is also very maneuverable. Um, They're able to maneuver the fleshy end of their snout very well, and they can actually push it flat against the ground. I think it's adorable to watch when they're (laughs) sniffing around, um, pressing their nose up on everything, looking for cool smells. Reminds me of that thing in SpongeBob where whenever SpongeBob would like look at something really closely, he would like physically press his eyeballs up against it like they would like extend out of his head and he would like (laughs) you know what i'm talking about yeah i do it's not what my brain would go to but (laughs) but i do see i do see it but yeah so they're able to press their nostrils like flat against the ground and other surfaces to kind of get their nostrils as close as possible to any possible scent particles And because of this, they're able to detect ants and termites even when they're deep underground. Um, So they're very, very, very good at smelling. They can sense ants or termites even deeper underground than other myrmecophagous species like, for example, the pangolin. The pangolin also has a really good sense of smell, but the aardvarks is better. Maybe pangolins should have considered having a little piggy nose. Maybe they should have thought about that. Listen, I love, love, (laughs) love aardvarks. I also love, love, love pangolins. They're, they're two of my favorite mammals. So in my mind, there's no, it's not a competition. So you have a type. You love I the myrmecophagus. Myrmico- uh, <laughs> yes. It's not so much the myrmecophagus animals. I just I, They're so stinking cute to me. They are cute. I have a soft spot for the weird, I think would be the more accurate way to describe my preferences. And what better representative? Yeah, yeah. I love animals that when you look at them, 
they just make you think, what are you? You just get the little spinning wheel above your head yeah, for a second. Yeah, it's like, what are you? How did you happen? How did you get like this? <laughs> I love animals that are like that. So in addition to their amazing sense of smell, they are also one of the most proficient diggers in the animal kingdom. Aardvarks do happen to be one of the largest, if not the largest, burrowing animals. So they can excavate a lot of dirt very quickly. If an aardvark is really going, they can dig a hole up to like a meter deep in like 10 to 15 seconds. Does this make containing them difficult? Does this introduce a challenge? Because I've heard of people struggling with dogs that like to dig their ways out of backyards. Does this introduce a unique challenge to the aardvark in captivity? <laughs> uh, yeah, so it is a consideration for sure that has to has to go into the design of any artificial aardvark habitats. And the solution that we found, at least in my institution, is we have the perimeter of the habitat is concrete down like mm. several feet into the ground. So they would have to be really working on it, get really deep to get around that. We also, as keepers, we do like till the soil, at, make sure they have lots of outlets so that they wouldn't be motivated to do that. But it is a natural behavior for them. So we like to encourage digging because we always like to encourage natural behaviors. But I, I don't think there's been any cases, uh, at least not in recent years, of uh, aardvarks digging out. No Shawshank Redemption situations. Yeah, no. So it is a consideration that goes into the habitat design, but not something that's like a huge major problem or anything like that. Just don't put any posters up in their enclosures so they don't have anything to hide the hole in the wall. <laughs> so I mentioned they have very long shovel-like claws. So their nails, essentially, their fingernails, are very thick, very long, several inches long, and they're kind of spade-shaped, or um, you think of those like small handheld shovels that you would like use in a garden. They're kind of shaped like that. And so imagine having like four of those at the end of each of your <laughs> fingers. You can move a lot of dirt that way. So what when an aardvark is digging, what they will do is they will be digging down with their forelimbs, their front limbs. And then when the dirt is like under them, they'll use their back feet to like kick it out behind them. And then they'll use their very like muscular tail to kind of like uh, level it. So they don't really end up having huge piles of dirt right behind them, um, which is kind of neat because you would expect if they're moving a lot of dirt, you'd expect it to just be like a big pile, but it doesn't really end up that way. Interesting. And that would also be like a visual indication of where they are too, right? Because mm -hmm. like if you can see, oh, there's this giant pile of dirt must be an aardvark nearby. Yeah. But if they're clearing that away, I don't know if that helps them. I, I would think it would. I don't it know. It might. But on the topic of their burrows, so they live in burrows, they sleep there during the day, um, and then they're more active at night. They are nocturnal animals. And they only stay at one particular burrow for between a few days to a couple weeks. Usually, after a week or two, they're gone and they're heading somewhere else to, f to make a new burrow somewhere else. So they end up leaving throughout, like you can imagine, throughout an aardvark's entire lifespan, which in the wild is usually between 15 and 20 years. And in, uh, in human care, it can be a little longer, 20 to 25 years. But throughout their entire lifespan, they're digging a lot of burrows and leaving a lot of burrows. And so other animals are able to use these burrows for themselves. So think about like any kind of small or medium-sized animal that might enjoy having a burrow to hide in, and they probably use aardvark's burrows if they're in Africa. So even things like hyenas and lions have been known to use abandoned aardvark burrows. So it's free real estate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. Um Aardvarks are, they're not endangered. They, they're they very plentiful. They're found throughout sub-Saharan Africa. But even though they are not endangered themselves, anything that negatively affects them can negatively affect a bunch of other species. So they're, I don't know if they're officially labeled as a keystone species, but they do function similarly. That digging also is in incredibly helpful, not only for making shelter for themselves, but also for reaching their food source. So we mentioned they eat ants and termites. Um, they have to be able to access ants and termites. So those claws, they're very hard and very strong, very resistant against breaking. And that's very helpful for them because they're able to break into 
like concrete hard termite mounds. And these are the same kinds of termite mounds that like large animals, like even elephants, kind of use as scratching posts because of how sturdy they are. But aardvarks can break into them. So they'll break into a termite mound or dig up an ant colony and then they'll use their very long sticky tongue to get at all those bugs. Their tongue is, it can get 11 to 12 inches long, and it is covered in this really thick, really sticky saliva. If anybody has watched How to Train Your Dragon, and there's that one line that Hiccup has whenever uh, whenever Toothless is, like, licking him affectionately, and he's like, you know that doesn't wash out, buddy. Uh, Aardvark <laughs> saliva is kind of like that. It is. It requires a lot of soap Aww. and a lot of elbow grease to clean it off of things. Gnarly. Um, but it's really, really good for <laughs> trapping ants and termites. I was thinking that getting the ants out of the colony would be like a boba straw, but it sounds like it's more like fun dip. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. It is more like fun dip. Um, stick stick a sticky... Uh, you stick a sticky stick in there. <laughs> you stick a sticky stick in there and it the things stick to it and then you can retract it up into their mouth and... One thing that makes the aardvark different from anteaters and pangolins is they do have teeth in their mouth. They have uh, some premolars and, and molars, and their teeth are very unique as well. But they don't use them to chew up the ants and termites. They just swallow the ants and termites whole, along with little bits of gravel and dirt that, you know, get caught up in the process. And their stomach, the wall of their stomach is very thick and muscular, and it acts kind of like a gizzard and kind of grinds up the food like in the stomach which is brutal <laughs> yeah yeah it's the same thing that pangolins do what what are these teeth sitting around here for wasting space <laughs> yeah so so aardvark teeth are so strange and unique that the order the taxonomic order is named after them so the taxonomic order is tubula dentata dentata coming from dent meaning teeth and tubula meaning tubes. And so aardvark teeth, the way they are structured is different from most other mammalian teeth. If you think about our teeth, we've got the inner part, the dentin, and then the outer part, the, the part that we see that's white and really hard, that's the enamel. Aardvarks do not have enamel. They don't even have roots, really. They mm. grow continuously. And if you look at them very closely, like under a microscope, the structure of their teeth looks like it's made up of a bunch of like little hexagonal tubes. Oh, wow. They're very weird looking teeth. And they grow continuously throughout their life and they kind of grind down. And it could be an ancestral trait that they used to eat more things before their diet was so specialized. But there is one thing that they do still eat in the wild besides ants and termites that they do use their teeth for. And that is a fruit known as the aardvark cucumber. So it doesn't look like a cucumber that you would buy at the grocery store. It looks more like a cantaloupe or a rock melon, but it grows underground on like a vine. And this plant kind of has a symbiotic relationship with the aardvark. The aardvark is the only animal that's known to eat these, these fruits. And the seeds of this plant need sunlight to germinate, but the fruit grows underground. So aardvarks are able to find these fruit and dig them up and eat them and then disperse the seeds elsewhere. That was really wild when I found that out. So that they do use their teeth for that occasionally. It's not like a huge part of their diet. It sounds like the aardvark is maybe the only thing that can get to these things. <laughs> yeah, it's one. Of, it like I said, it's the only animal that we know eats them, and we're not a hundred percent sure like why the aardvark would eat them aside from maybe like the water content during times of drought. But in terms of like water intake, they get most of the water that they need from the insects that they eat. So even in a zoo setting, they don't, like we always, of course, provide water for them. I've never seen our aardvark actually drink from a water bowl. The, we, we add water through their food as well, and that's where they get most of their hydration from. So these cucumbers are just a fun little snack. Yeah. Now in, in zoos and human care, we, we do also feed them avocado. That is another part of their daily diet. I was looking up to try to find like nutritional reasons other than just like the fat and the oil content, but they seem to really, really enjoy it. They just really like avocado. They can also eat things like banana, um, but that's that's less frequent. Listen, I eat a lot of things I don't nutritionally need. Fair, fair. I do too. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta have a little treat. So, that's all. 
Yeah. Happiness counts. It does. It does. And we definitely, definitely try to keep all of our animals healthy and happy. Honestly, the animals I take care of, they eat way better than I do. I wish that I had a staff of nutritionists hand preparing me meals, you know, day in and day out. Like, I would probably eat great, too. <laughs> Life would be much easier if that were the case for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there was one more thing that I wanted to talk about in terms of like the effectiveness category. So we talked about their adaptations for finding food, for accessing food. Um, they also, their snout, their eyes, and their ears have little adaptations that help them keep dirt and debris out of like their orifices while they're digging. Their ears are able to kind of like turn backwards and go kind of flat against their neck to kind of like protect their ear canal. They have these really long, fabulous eyelashes that kind of protect their eyes from dirt. And then their nostrils, they have a lot of hair uh, around their nostrils, and they're able to like close and make kind of like a good seal and essentially just close up their nose so that dirt won't get in it. Well, that's helpful, especially because living in like an arid climate where it's going to be dusty already, and then you're also like shoving your face into the dirt on a regular basis. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really helpful. Their skin is also uh, pretty thick, so insect bites don't really bother them, um, which is helpful when your diet is primarily insects. They're able to stand up on their hind legs pretty effectively <gasps> because they can use their really thick tail kind of like a tripod stand. So it gives them better balance. So they're able to stand up to better access like termite mounds. And termite mounds can get so tall. They can be massive. It's a sprawling metropolis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It is insane how huge termite colonies in Africa and, and South America can be. It is definitely recommend looking up pictures of like people standing next to them to get like a good idea of their size. Can you imagine being a termite who just like spent your entire like generations upon generations of like your entire society's lives building this massive like sprawling mound that towers into the sky and then this dirt pig comes along with its eight <laughs> shovels and just completely king kong <laughs> demolishes yeah. it you're like come on <laughs> yeah so one cool thing about aardvarks though is that they break into the anter termite colony and they you know take a bunch they eat a lot but they move on they won't focus on just one food source once they found it they'll feed for several minutes and then they'll leave and so it actually allows the ants and termite colonies that they raid to successfully recover uh, without too much issue. They don't overhunt any particular colony. Leave some survivors to tell the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like sustainable, <laughs> sustainable hunting. And I'm sure that like other species that eat ants and termites do also benefit from this because then there's like if, say, there's an aardvark goes around, breaks into a termite mound and then, oh, let pangolins nearby, they can just go take advantage of that or birds or any other anything else that would eat those insects. So that's really helpful. And the termites, especially like they're able to reconstruct and kind of reseal off the hole that an aardvark would make in their mound pretty effectively. So even though they eat like up to 50,000 of these insects <laughs> every night, they don't actually do a whole lot of damage to the insect populations. They do help keep it in check, but like the insects are still doing fine. The only thing that I could think of when I was preparing for this where the aardvark would like lose a point for effectiveness would be their eyesight. They do not have very good eyesight. They're nocturnal animals, so like they rely way more on their sense of hearing and their sense of smell for navigating. But their eyesight is very poor. They can sense light uh, differences, but they don't have cones in their eyes. So they don't really see colors. What colors are you going to see in the middle of the night anyway, right? Like Yeah, yeah, don't need them. Not necessary. <laughs> yeah, not necessary. But it does present, you know, a slight limitation if they are active during the day where they can't see as well. But that's why they're really good at hearing things. True. Yeah. True. They've got the long ears. Yeah. And their ears can actually move independently of one another. So they can listen in like two different directions at once. I love that. That's also very cute. It is. I cannot understate how adorable these animals are. Hey there. We're going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of our friends on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we are talking ingenuity and aesthetics for aardvarks. So stay right here. 
The Greatest Generation, Maximum Fun's irreverent, filthy mouth Star Trek podcast is a big deal. How big? It's the only Star Trek podcast big enough to have a live show tour, and we are inviting all Star Trek fans and Max Funsters everywhere. We're calling it the Share Your Embarrassment Tour, and we're going to celebrate and roast Star Trek V. That's the one where they kill God. We're going to be in a bunch of cities, and greatestgentour.com has all the info and ticket links. That's greatestgentour.com for dates and ticketing info for the Share Your Embarrassment Tour. Come share your embarrassment with us. And grow stronger from the sharing. Hi, I'm Travis McElroy. And I'm Teresa McElroy. And we're the host of Schmanners. We don't believe that etiquette should be used to judge other people. No, on Schmanners, we see etiquette as a way to navigate social situations with confidence. So if that sounds like something you're into, join us every Friday on Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. It sounds like they're putting in a lot of work, like for the ecosystem. Like it sounds like they're doing a lot of work that like a lot of other animals in their environment benefit from, right? They're Mm -hmm. digging the tunnels. They're busting open the termite mounds. It seems like they're the trailblazers that a bunch of other animals kind of mooch off of their success in their wake. (laughs) Yeah. I've, you know, I've heard them referred to as um, African architects before. I love that. Yeah. So since we're talking about like these things that they're doing, these behaviors that are like kind of providing for their ecological community, I'd like to talk about ingenuity for the aardvark. This is your first time listening to this podcast when we rate animals uh, in ingenuity, which for us is just behavioral adaptations, things they're actually doing with their body to solve problems that they face or overcome challenges in their environment. What do you give aardvarks out of 10 for ingenuity? So aardvarks, I gave a 7 out of 10 for ingenuity. Decent. It's decent. It's it's kind of a low 7, though. A soft 7. <laughs> it's a soft 7, yeah. So where they get the most points is their nocturnal lifestyle, because being nocturnal is very good for avoiding predators that are mostly active during the day. It is also very good for avoiding really hot temperatures in very hot climates because it will be cooler at night. And in the wintertime, if it's really, really cold at night, they can kind of adjust and come out a little bit more before sunset to avoid like the coldest nighttime temperatures. And the burrowing aspect of their lifestyle also helps them with, like, temperature regulation and predator avoidance. In addition to all of that, a lot of ants and termites are less active at night, Mm. and they're going to be more concentrated inside of their colonies. And so it's also just, like, a really, like, the best time for raiding insect colonies and getting as many insects in one pass of their tongue as possible. Sneak up on them while they're sleeping. That's diabolical. (laughs) It is. Yeah. Well, it's effective is what it is. It is. (laughs) But in terms of what they could do if they do encounter a predator, they're actually faster at running than you would think. Really? Yeah. I've never seen one run. If you had to guess, how fast do you think an aardvark could run? It can't be more than like five to like, I don't know, maybe seven or eight would be my highest thought. So their top speeds are, like, the top speed they can reach is between 20 to 25 miles per hour. There's no way an aardvark is outrunning me. (laughs) You would think. There's no way they're lapping me. This can't be. You would think. There's, I saw a, I've seen videos of, like, a hyena chasing an aardvark. And the hyena was a little bit faster, but the aardvark kept its distance, like, longer than you would expect it to. And And the aardvark... In this particular video interaction, um, the aardvark did get away because it ran like really fast. And usually when they're running away from things, um, which is going to be their like first option, if they encounter danger, their first option is going to be to run away and kind of like zigzag a little bit 
But their second like option, if they're able to like avoid the danger, would be to go into a hole or dig a new hole. I mentioned before, they can excavate a lot of dirt really, really quickly. And so sometimes what they'll do if they perceive that they're in danger, they will just they'll dig a hole as fast as they can and just hide. If you can't find shelter, make your own shelter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The thing it reminds me of is the scene in in Wally when Wally's underneath the like landing spaceship and he can't get away and he's like oh, the- <laughs> he looks for different options and then he just panic digs a hole. Does he like scoop a bunch of dirt on top he of just his head? Scoops and, like- a bunch of dirt on top and just hides. And that's what I imagine when I think of this uh, particular strategy. It doesn't look quite like that, but it is impressive how quickly they can get underground. Like I said, they can excavate like a meter of dirt every like 10 to 15 seconds. It reminds me of if anybody has ever been playing like the first night of Minecraft and like you don't have a base yet, but there's a zombie coming. So you just dig (laughs) directly beneath you and then just like just dig, (laughs) put dirt blocks around you and then just sit there and listen to the zombie until morning. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they don't. They, they tend to not cover themselves back up necessarily, but they, Mm. they, they make a hole and they hunker down in it. One thing that is being kind of studied more, I read a few papers on this topic, is that when food is scarce or there's climate conditions such as droughts that are impacting the their food populations of, uh, you know, ants and termites, they'll become more active during daylight hours. And it's usually a sign that they're having a harder time finding food throughout the night. Mm. Um, so it's not actually like that great of a thing to see more aardvarks being active during the day. It's a struggle move. It's a struggle move, but it is a way that they, they adapt their behavior to try to overcome a problem. But the reason why I kind of gave their ingenuity like a lower, like a decentish, but like a lower score is because a lot of these strategies are not particularly creative. Um, <laughs> when I think of animals as a whole and, and like the ingenuity in the animal kingdom, I like when there's things like crows using tools and orcas just mm. flat out having culture and trends and such <laughs> and and aardvarks don't do that so i couldn't give them like super high but they're good enough they have a number of things that they do that help them get by and that help other animals do aardvarks get along are they cool with each other that's a really good question. So in the wild, they're pretty much solitary animals. They'll come together for like mating purposes, but the males don't stick around. Like They don't raise their young together. In human care, they are sometimes kept in like couples or trios, and they seem to not mind each other. They don't like there's not really aggression problems uh, most of the time. So they seem to be pretty chill with each other, but in the wild it's not something that they would like do naturally. They don't not really their favorite. They don't hang out in groups in the wild. They kind of just go their own way. Something that keeps coming up for us that we keep talking about is how darn cute these little things are. They got the little bunny ears. I don't know if the sparse hair is going to do it for everybody. I don't know if that impacts your rating for aesthetics, but uh, for us, our final category that we rate animals on is aesthetics. It's how nice this animal is to look at. What do you give aardvarks out of 10 for aesthetics? Oh, I give them a 9.5 out of 10. <laughs> now, the 0.5 is saying something. That's mm-hmm. a loud 0.5. It's a loud 0.5. I'm trying not to let my personal bias come through. If if I were rating the specific aardvark that I have the pleasure of seeing all the time <laughs> at my job... Um, she would get an 11 out of 10 because she's perfect. But It's like it's kind of like how your cat is always the cutest cat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm trying not to let that impact my overall rating too much. But for me, the only thing that deducts any points from their aesthetics is the fact that they're not super, like, flashy. Like, their color is a pretty drab, like, pretty drab kind of dirt color. Right. Um, so I can definitely see where... And also, like you mentioned, their sparse, sparse hair, it wouldn't necessarily do it for everybody. And I could definitely see where some other other people might not find them as cute as I do. But everything else, everything else about them, I just love it. <laughs> their, their cute nose, their fabulous eyelashes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So good. Slay. Absolutely. <laughs> when they are sleeping, at least the one that I work with, she sleeps in the funniest positions 
and and she sleeps very deeply too so it's it's so funny it's so cute i love her i'm googling sleeping aardvark and when you google sleeping aardvark there's an assortment of images <laughs> i'm sure there yeah i'm sure there's an assortment of positions that end up happening the aardvark that i work with she likes to sleep kind of on her back a lot. And so her feet will kind of be like up in the air and uh, <laughs> up in the air. And her, for lack of a better word, like she's dead to the world. <laughs> it is. It's it's the cutest thing. I have lots and lots of pictures of it on my phone because every time I see it, it's, it's new and amazing. When I googled sleeping aardvark, two of the top four images that came up are of aardvarks sleeping on their backs with their front feet just kind of folded in mm-hmm. like in a begging posture. And that's my favorite thing. That's yeah. extremely cute. Yeah, sometimes the aardvark at work, uh, she will kind of sleep curled up and like almost <laughs> folded in half, kind of. It's it's adorable. One th- interesting thing about the aesthetic of an aardvark that's not not so much about how cute they are, but just like an interesting fact, is that when it comes to telling males from females, it can be kind of difficult to tell based on looking at their parts. Mm-hmm. the external parts on a male and female aardvark look really similar. There have been cases where some facilities, uh, the, the case I know of, I think was in the UK, but they had a trio of aardvarks. Well, they started with two, and they thought that they had a male and a female, and they learned later that they had two females because they thought and they that were they were roommates. Gonna... <laughs> and they were roommates. Yeah. Just gals being pals. Yep, yep. And they got along just fine, but... um. But yeah, they thought they were maybe going to have a potential breeding pair and ends up um, they've got two, like, best friends. <laughs> so <laughs> Just just really good special friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Um, the point is it can be hard to tell just from, like, eyeballing it sometimes. And I thought that that was interesting. Yeah. I wanted to get your take on Arthur. Oh, uh, I was waiting for this to come up. <laughs> so... Yeah, Arthur. <laughs> Arthur. For for any listeners who are maybe too young to have known Arthur, don't say that they don't exist. Listen, Nobody's too young to know Arthur. <laughs> listen, it's it could happen. So it's it's a cartoon that features anthropomorphized animals as like all their characters, and the main character Arthur is an aardvark, and he looks nothing like an aardvark. Not even, not a single. They got the color identifying right. trait. They got the color right, and that's about it. Um, not a single trait of aardvarks to be yeah. seen on this man. Nope, none at all. Uh, I've seen some earlier like concept art for like earlier versions of the character design, and they did look more aardvark like. He had a much longer face, longer snout, but it also looked less teddy bear like so mm. i for the sake of like a children's show i understand why they went with the design that they did but i kind of wish they had called him something else other than an aardvark because aardvarks look nothing like arthur i have googled early concept art or earlier designs of arthur still not it i would say <laughs> like, yeah it's it's closer but it's not quite there still does it's basically an anteater is what i'm looking at yeah, um, it, still not it. I can see it. A swing and a miss with this one, I'm afraid. I mean, we can still absolve Arthur because Arthur is great and an amazing show and a charming character. Just why call it an aardvark? Like, why call him that? Don't ask me. I, I wouldn't make that decision. <laughs> they could have at any point been like, oh, yeah, no, maybe he's actually, I don't know, a bear. Yeah. A rodent of some sort. He kind of looks like a beaver. I thought that he was a bear for a long time. Like, I heard Arthur the Aardvark, but for a long time, I didn't know what an Aardvark was when I was little. Oh, true. Because, like, it's not a very common animal. Right. And I hadn't heard that word, like, anywhere else. And so when I was younger, if I had to describe Arthur to somebody, I would have called him, like, bear? I don't know. A mouse, perhaps? A mouse, maybe? Aardvark would be at the bottom of my list yeah. of possible identifications for this creature. Aardvarks are usually like, the only time you ever see them in like kids books or like media or something like that, they only ever come up if you need 
a word that's going to be in the beginning of the dictionary. Like yep. if you need like the first alphabetical word, you're going to yep. go with aardvark. They, they've got the, the double A at the front of their name. That's the only time they ever come up is if you need something that's going to be early in the dictionary. <laughs> yeah, which is a shame because they're such cool animals and I wish that they were more widely known. Yeah, maybe someday there will be a Pokemon about that. There's got to be. There's there like a needs of those. to be. There are a thousand of those dudes. There's got to be one. I have opinions about the potentials for an aardvark Pokemon. Yeah, when I Google aardvark Pokemon, all that comes up are like fan designs, which mm-hmm. they're great. They're really good. Yeah. There is an anteater Pokemon um, mm-hmm. that was introduced back in Generation 5 of Pokemon Black and White. And it was introduced as like part of this pair of Pokemon. So there's the anteater one and then there's an ant Pokemon and they kind of have that predator-prey relationship. And the ant Pokemon is a steel type and the anteater Pokemon is a fire type. So they have that like type effectiveness where the fire type's super effective against steel type. But here's the thing. If they made an aardvark Pokemon, ground type is also super effective against steel type. So it works. Think about what it could have been. Yeah. Or it, there's still time. There's still, there's time. still time. Gen 10, baby. Get on yeah, it. Yeah, Pokemon's <laughs> going to be going on forever. There's going to be thousands of these things eventually, probably. So... It could happen, and I really want it to happen, but I, I I have strong opinions. I feel very strongly that when it happens, I want the Aardvark Pokemon to be one of those Pokemon that's just on its own. It doesn't evolve from anything. It doesn't have any evolutions. Um, one of those, like, kind of middle-of-the-road Pokemon that you find in, like, the middle of the game, because that would be a nice reference to the fact that they don't have any close relatives, <gasps> I like that. That's yeah. cool. If there was like a secondary typing, what do you think it would be? Dark, because they're nocturnal. I can see that. And like because they like live in dark tunnels and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm getting I'm could... getting ground and dark from them, which I think would I be could cool. See, that would be really cool. This is what I'm gonna be thinking about for the rest of the day. <laughs> about an aardvark pokemon pokemon company get on it <laughs> i want all of the artists listening to draft up a design for a ground and dark type aardvark pokemon and send them in so that yes, i can love please. them please tag me in it so i can also see them and if people do want to tag you in them uh where can folks listening find you on social media and do you have anything that's like going on right now that you want people to know about or like projects you want people to keep an eye on like where can people go after this um, so I don't do a whole lot on social media. I do have a TikTok account. My username is CanvasN, but they haven't really posted much on there uh, recently. So I don't really have that much to promote about myself. But if anyone out there would love to like do something to make me feel supported, go visit your local AZA zoo. The best time to go to the zoo is like right when they open, um, because that's when a lot of the animals are going to be most active because it's not like the hottest part of the day. They probably just got fed. Yeah, a lot of them, a lot of animals do get fed like out in the morning. So they'll be, they'll have energy. So that's, that's the best time. Also try to go on a day that like, it's not going to be super sunny, but it's not going to be rainy. Like kind of overcast is what you're going for. Yes. To staying out of the sunlight. Also, if you can swing a weekday, like early morning weekday at the zoo, that is like, the most incredible vibe you can possibly you'll have the whole place to yourself it's amazing i promise yeah yeah that for sure unless it's like the middle of summer in which case right every matter what day you're there but yeah absolutely (laughs) if it's during the school year try to go on a weekday right when the zoo opens and you're gonna have a great time when you say aza accredited what does that mean The AZA stands for the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, and it is a like a non-regulatory but like accrediting organization that essentially gives accreditation to uh, zoological facilities based on the standards of animal welfare that they uphold and their impact and contributions to wildlife conservation. So to put it really simply, if a zoo and aquarium is accredited by the AZA, then you can be pretty confident that the animals are treated really well. And like the animal welfare and conservation messaging is a big focus at that place. Because as I'm sure nobody needs to be told, not all zoos are amazing. So I always recommend looking up and you can go on the AZA website because they have a website and you can uh, look up just like the list of 
accredited facilities. There's a, a, a little over 240 AZA accredited facilities. They're mostly in North America, uh, mostly in the United States. And you can look up what the nearest one to you is. So if you're across the seas in uh, in Europe, there's also like Europe has its own version of the AZA as well. So it's just a way to make sure that the place you're supporting where your money is going towards good causes, uh, institutions that care about the animals and care about making a positive impact on wildlife. Then you said Jacksonville Zoo. I believe the Jacksonville Zoo is one of the zoos in North America that actually does have an aardvark. So I wanted to share something we're a little salty about is that yes, they have an aardvark, but you can't just go see it. (laughs) So we asked one time because we wanted to go to the zoo. Christian had seen on the website that they had an aardvark at the zoo. Christian was like, we're going to see this aardvark. We're not leaving this facility until we see this aardvark because I need to see it. We'd been there a million times and never seen it. So we're like, where are you hiding it? (laughs) (laughs) So we, we looked everywhere. And we could not see this aardvark. So eventually, we like walked up to someone who worked at the zoo. We were like, where is this aardvark? I've looked everywhere. I can't find it. They're like, oh, it's one of our like educational mm-hmm. like outreach animals. And we keep them in a building. And then I yeah. guess they like get them out for presentations. Yeah. So that would be an example of an ambassador animal. And though that's actually yeah. the kind, that's the kind of, I guess, the category of zoo animal that I work with. Ambassador animals, they live behind the scenes and it's they get more privacy from guests than, you know, the other animals throughout the zoo. And the trade-off there is they do come out for educational programs and they if you're lucky enough to catch one of these educational programs or special events, um, you might get to be a little bit closer to this animal. It works a little bit differently at each, at every facility, but that's the general structure of ambassador programs there are now they're not ambassador animals at every single zoo there are some zoos that do have them as exhibit animals that any regular guests could see so what we've just described is not the case everywhere someday i'm holding out hope it's gonna happen i'm gonna see one i'm i'm rooting for you (laughs) i'll find one Thank you so much for your time and your passion for these animals. I think people listening will feel inspired to love the weird critters out there, like aardvarks. Yes. Love the weird little guys. Weird ones are the best. They're all the best, but I like the weird ones the best. Some of them are a little bester than others. (laughs) Well, Kaylee, thank you so much for your time. It's been a delight. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, friends. I hope that the humble dirt pig has rooted and burrowed its way right into your heart. If you liked what you heard, I hope you leave behind some kind words for us in a review on your podcast app of choice. We read them all and they make us very happy and keep us motivated. If you want to hang out with us online, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and TikTok. Links to everything will be in the episode description. You can send me an email at ellen at justthezooofus.com if you have a cool animal you'd like to hear about on the show. We'd like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other wonderful shows like the ones you heard promos for here today. You can check those out and learn more about the network and how you can be a part of supporting our show over at MaximumFun.org. Finally, we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music. That's all for today. See you next week. Thanks. Bye. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.